You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Let's get into it, brother. Okay. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and um, uh, very excited to have Joe Uline, um, uh, a labor uh, labor organizer, labor thinker, uh, uh, unionist, singer, musician, and um, Joe. Thanks for spending time. I've, I've since I've done this show, I've really had a, an inkling to get a chance to chat with you, and it's arrived. So thanks for coming on the show, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, you know, uh, just 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 thinking about uh, the labor movement and music and some of the bigger things uh, that that we work and strive for. But uh, prior to getting into that, uh, uh, Joe, can you can you tell us a little bit about you know when, when you were younger? Did you have an, an artist inclination? Were you plucking around with music? What were you what were your sensibilities like when when you were young coming into this world? Yeah, uh, well, I, I did, and I, uh, you know, sang, uh, you know, with my parents. Um, my father played guitar and sang. My mother played piano and sang, and we would, you know, do it together, you know, as a family. Uh, so I kind of grew up in that milieu and listening to, uh, you know, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and Joe Glazer and others uh like them uh so yeah i had a i had an orientation from very early on yeah and so i think anybody who's uh, who's uh getting into let, let's let's say with um labor music you know it's it's particular uh you know social activists it's laden in in history and in some deep histories yeah. uh with with within within folk music um just just generally speaking um uh i was wondering what the you know what does a what does a labor song uh you know do for folks when 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 you play it you know it's a collective yeah. activity like what 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 happens there and and how is it how does it yeah. help us in the movement i was just wondering well i think uh the well first of all it depends on the song but I think uh, the biggest thing is um, it is something that uh, we can do as an individual that's also part of a larger whole. And that's kind of like what joining a union is. You, As the song goes, you've got to go j- down and join the union by yourself. Yeah. So, you, you know, it is an individual decision, uh, but it's it it puts you in to something that's bigger than you are with like-minded people. Uh, it builds that solidarity and camaraderie that you don't have a lot of in other aspects of uh, of life. So it, it does that. Now you know again, depending on the song, it can also tell a story that people may not know about a particular strike, a particular. Uh, leader of a of an effort a strike or a protest or something where a song is written uh about the people who organized it a uh, story about story of struggle uh and so it's a good way to educate and at the same time inspire and and motivate people to step up and take action themselves 
Yeah, that 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 beauty of that beauty of empowerment. Yeah. I got uh, one of the big questions I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you here because uh, it's on the forefront of my mind. I wanted to ask you in particular. The the, the question is what 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 is art? And I think um, I, I just want to make a comment. That's the question. But um, you know, there's I, I think when we think about uh, music and we think about this question, what is art? I mean, I know you know I studied it at the university. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be this. It feels sometimes like this erudite, uh, yeah. otherworldly type of thing. And I think when people think about art, they think about you know expensive pieces, you know, on, right. on the wall. So there's this inherent uh, stuff that goes along with that. But I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, Joe, well, yeah. what, what do you think art is? Well, uh, you know, at the most basic level, it is life. If we're living life um, well, we're living it art- artistically, whether we know it or not. Uh, so I, I think that art is, is living, it's life. But, you know, it, for me in the labor movement, as well as the climate change and environmental movement, other movements I've been involved in, peace and freedom, all of that, um, we tend to be taught rules. You know, like Saul Alinsky has his rules for radicals. And there's like, I don't know, 11 or 12 of them in the book. And they're great. Uh, They're kind of, I like to think of them as guideposts rather than rules. But I'm a big believer in improvisation. And so I don't like rules that much. And I think organizers uh, hold themselves back by strict adherence to rules. And they think, well, these are the rules. We, this is how we have to go about it. And I think that's limiting. And so what art brings in is, is an element of uh, we can play around with these rules. We we can, you know, like one of Saul Alinsky's rules is whenever possible, op- operate outside the experience of the adversary. So he even built into one of his rules, he's saying, you don't have to follow the rules. <laughs> uh, don't do what they've seen you do before. Come up with new things. Be creative. Yeah. And I think the creative element uh it, it could uh, stand more of a resurgence in all of our movement organizing. So art brings that. It brings creativity. You know, I think that um, I like the writings of Stephen Nachmanovich when it comes to art. Uh, he wrote the book Free Play, which inspired me a lot when I read it 20-some years ago. Uh, he has a new book out called The Art of Is. And that's really about what he calls the three imps, improvisation, impermanence, and imperfection. And that we all hold those three imps inside of us and we need to understand it and deal with it and and use them, even imperfection, of course, use it to our advantage. So art is mind opening. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your comments, uh, Joe. I was thinking about, you know, b- particularly within within art and in 
organizing. I think uh, when you're involved in these activities, there's a desire to always do the right thing, to make the right call, the right decision, play the right Mm -hmm. angle. And when you get involved in these things, you know, it's one of the main things you have to do is say, okay, it's going to be very different or could be very different 20 minutes from now. And, you know, that we got to kind of adjust in, in create. And I love, I love how that's uh, embedded in some of your thoughts there about that creativity and and following the angle. And and, and maybe that the rule isn't, isn't going to work because the conditions on the ground are much different than uh, the writer anticipated. Right. They're all, they're always different. Yeah, that's very um, true. Yeah, thank you. And I and I know your answer probably got into components of this, but uh, I do ask it ask it um, uh, explicitly mm-hmm. about the role of art today, or right now, or what art's supposed to do. I hear what you're saying, what art is, mm-hmm. but does it have a particular role, a particular place for our human life right now, yeah. 2022? What do you, what are your thoughts there? I think it does. I think it it's a way that we can uh, raise questions that agitate. It, and, and by that, I mean that challenge existing assumptions about the world we live in, uh, about uh, power, uh, about how we organize. It can challenge us to think differently. It, it also, I mean, in this world where, where we are now, uh, everything is so fast, you know. We this whole digital world we live in, and um, and I think what art can do is, uh, whether it's a great song or a painting or a poem or whatever, can kind of arrest life for a moment and invite contemplation. Now you have to be open to it. Yeah. You know, people who are, you know, they're just into swiping the screen, they'll pass and miss opportunities, but art can help us. It can stop life, help us, you know, invite contemplation, help us think creatively about the challenges uh, that we face. And, you know, at the, at the most basic level, uh, it inspires in a way that uh, the written word uh, can't, or, or I, what I should say is, you know, we write a lot of reports and commission reports to explain this problem or that problem. We do white papers and, and that's all great, but it's mostly an intellectual thing. And what art does is it speaks to the heart or the soul or the center, however you want to think about that. Uh, art speaks to that. So it goes beyond uh, the intellectual uh, pursuits. Uh, it has a lot of roles. I mean, you know, if you think about, um, you know, go go back to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, little kids, they naturally play free without any regard to rules. And, and they can keep doing it for hours when they're together. Um, we lose that as we get older and we go through the educational system. It kind of strips us of that sensibility. Um, so reintegrating art into life, I, I think, is just super important. Yeah, 
that 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 makes a, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, uh, we're talking with Joe Uline, um, uh, labor uh, musician, uh, thinker, has worked on strategic campaigns, the AFL CIO. He also does a ton of work on labor and labor and the environment. And uh, I had mentioned to you briefly, Joe, um, I, 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 I very much uh, glom on to, to thinkers like yourself who are talking about the labor movement and talking about the environment and, and talking about them in a, in, in a deep way, in a sense of what our thinking is, what our thinking needs to be, again at this time in in this in this age um so when you speak those words uh they they feel to me let, let me just say one thing labor movement at time feels to me to kind of always be trying to catch up to kind of like the next thing to always trying to respond and, and get up in front of major social issues we think about uh racial and social injustice uh we think about the environment these things are of course, inter interrelated. But I wanted to ask you, given your work on this topic and how deeply important it is, do, what are you seeing? Uh, what is your what is your take on the labor movement seeing the climate crisis and 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 what's happening with how we think about things like jobs? productive jobs and sustainable jobs. Could, yeah. could you, could, could you comment on that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think first of all, there's a tremendous amount of progress being made in the labor movement on these issues. Uh, they're being made because, uh, labor folks are seeing, you know, what's happening and, and where the economy's going and what has to be done to, solve the climate crisis, and there are jobs there being created in renewable energy industries and other industries, and they want to organize those, which is great. Uh, those jobs must become union or else. They, they, uh, the example I use is you might have climate jobs, like jobs that are good for solving the climate crisis, but if they're crappy jobs, then they're not sustainable. Because sustainability, the concept rests on this three-legged stool. Uh, when any one leg is missing, the stool falls down, and that is economic justice, social justice, and environmental justice. Those are the three stools of sustainability. Too often, companies, uh, they will co-opt the term and just make sustainability about being green and nothing else. That is a, that's a bad trap. You don't want to fall into that. Uh, and, and, to, and a lot of people do in the environmental movement because uh, they want to solve the environmental uh, problems and they don't think about the workers who are hurt or those who are getting the new jobs, but without pension, without health care, without good pay. Um, so, we always advocate for full spectrum sustainability. Uh, I think one of the biggest things for labor when it comes to climate change is that climate change itself is the real job killer, not the answers to climate change. Yeah. Uh, climate change is gonna decimate uh, entire industries 
Uh, it's already had a huge impact in places where there have been, you know, like Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy. You know, New Orleans lost 40% of its economy in the aftermath of Katrina, and maybe 25% came back. There's a permanent loss of 15% of the economic activity in that city. And we're going to see a lot more of that with the fires and the floods and all the stuff that's coming. So climate change as the real job killer is, uh, I think, an important concept for us to be talking about. Yeah, I, I think there's been a, maybe the way we've culturally dealt with it or maybe o- overall is that it's it's been a, maybe an ancillary thing to think about. And I think the it's imploring everybody that it is front and center among those components that you mentioned when when we're talking about justice. I even think about you mentioned Katrina and uh, Nolens. You think about that, you know, after that as well, there were no public schools in New yeah. Orleans. It was, it was became an entire, which was set up and thought that way to come back in and, and create a charter school, more privatized system there. So yeah, education, environmental justice, and that those jobs are no longer, you know, as connected to, um, yeah. The potential, the potential for unionization or whatever, they, yeah. they become a, a separate charter system. So, um, I, yeah, I th- that, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no. And, and it's just, it's just one of those, uh, one of those examples where I think, uh, being upfront and, and thinking about these things because, uh, many of us, you know, who, who, who work in this know that uh, when the disaster comes, there's a plan back behind it to enact, um, yeah. you know, yeah. so, you know, yeah. just, just, just being ready for that. Um, I wanted to ask a, a, a bit more of a, const, you know, kind of, uh, uh, again, where you come from a mm-hmm. question and about, it's a general question. You can answer it as you will about influences on yourself. And the yeah. question is who or what made you who you are, Joe? Yeah. Well, I'd say for starters, uh, my parents. They were both union organizers. My dad worked in the mills in the Cleveland Lorraine area of Ohio. And, uh, you know, I was six years old when the 1959 steel strike started, ended up being the longest strike in the history of the industry. 110 days, ran through Christmas. Uh, That had a huge impact on us because we had no income for 110 days. And so Christmas was like, you know, socks and underwear. That was it. And uh, we, we were down on the picket lines all the time. I, as a little six-year-old kid, was down there uh, walking the picket line and hearing the songs. And uh, so that all had a profound impact on me. Uh, and then right after that, um, you know, the lake, Lake Erie, which to us was like our paradise. We swam in it all the time. We ate the yellow perch by the hundreds and hundreds. And then all of a sudden, in toward 1964, 65, 66, they started to post the signs. You can't eat the fish. You can't swim in the lake. And so all the smoke coming out of the steel mills, which always just meant bread on the table for us, started to mean something a little different. And that had an impact on me. And then when I got my first job, uh, my family had moved to central Pennsylvania. I first went to work in an aluminum mill, but then I went to work on outdoor construction. And 
One of my first big jobs was the construction of the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant, which sits you know, just south of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And every day I crossed the picket line of environmentalists who didn't want to see the plant built. I took their literature. It made sense to me because of my Lake Erie experience. And I complained to the local union about it because they had a, uh, a bumper sticker uh, that said, hungry and out of work, eat an environmentalist. And yeah. I complained about that, and I got run out of the union hall. Uh, so I was starting to form. I then, of course, pursued a life in the in the labor movement, but always with those environmental sensibilities. Yeah, and uh, it, it, I think that, you know, the bumper sticker, the antagonisms that exist there, I mean, it just... Yeah, it's 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 manifest right there in those in those tensions. And uh, yeah, I think there is something very, very, um, very profound about what you're talking about, where the the prominence of, of Lake Erie, you think about those cultural elements, which happens to many communities, that something could be very much in the forefront. And all of a sudden it is that which existed here is no longer for your interaction, consumption, mm-hmm. drink, drinking, eating and yeah. that that kind of, you know, thunderclap yeah. right there. Um, yeah. Well, you think about why uh, pretty much all the fish are contain mercury. That's because of the burning of fossil fuels for 100 years. That's why. And so we, we pursued the, the better life through the, you know, fossil fuels, coal and others, uh, without thinking about, well, what, damage could we be doing now we know the damage uh yet we are we're we're addicted and we're having a hard time weaning ourselves off uh fossil fuels and the labor movement has pretty significant density in the fossil fuel industry so a lot of members who work in oil refineries and out on the rigs and the coal mines all that uh which makes it uh really hard for unions to sort of accept that that has to end, but it does. We know that it, it has to end. We have to find the way to get off of that. Yeah, I've been I've, I've been reading a lot of uh, kind of interactions and in, in commentary around energy, but I even think it's pretty fascinating in seeing some of the building trades unions around things like wind power. I know back mm-hmm. my former stomping grounds out in out in Boston, mm-hmm. um, local 103 IBW out that way. And there's uh, Block Island off of, of Rhode Island, which is uh, yeah. sustained by 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 wind as, as well. But uh, just seeing building trades, you know, it, 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 it's all complicated, but just seeing the the prominence and some of the ideas dig in where maybe they wanted to before about sustainable right. energy and in that that jobs do need to be sustainable on the criteria that you stated to be worth saving. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I think the uh, what we're seeing in the both the building trades and the energy unions today is a is really a beautiful thing because they are working hard to advance the uh, the wind power uh, and solar power that IBW local you mentioned in Boston uh, they were one of the 
maybe the first labor organization that came out in support of the Green New Deal. Uh, and that was at a time when the, the IBEW National was very negative on the Green New Deal. The AFL-CIO was blasting the Green New Deal and still does. But that local leader saw it for what it was and came out in support of it. And then other locals and, and well, even a couple national unions, uh, the, the UE, National Nurses, Nurses United, SEIU, the AFT nationally, all then came out in support of the Green New Deal. So there's real, um, you know, as much as we're still addicted to the fossil fuels, I'm inspired by what I see happening in, in that group of unions who are going all in uh, for the renewables. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some some good activity. I think that's one thing for you know for for you know activists or folks deeply concerned you know labor environment getting into these issues that uh, you know there's different ways to look at it. You could look at it local and regionally or within certain subsections of labor, and yeah. you know maybe not be completely frustrated or disappointments on the the lackluster uh, press release around something and just be right. like, okay, there are some people digging in on this one and where are they digging in? So I think that I know in labor for me, that ends up being really helpful to see where the activity yeah. is, where, where people are working on this. So that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the big, I have, the big conceptual question coming up, but I, I wanted to ask you another one just a, a bit um, thinking about my listeners and thinking about uh, labor music and, and, and labor songs. Um, if yeah. you could just spend a little bit of time with that, yeah. I, you know, labor, it's a, it's a, not everybody knows labor songs. They know probably what yeah. they, what they would be, but can you, can you just, just, just mention a few things about maybe some of the, uh, I know you did at the beginning about, labor acts maybe some folks who are uh, out there right now some 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 sounds around labor where do how do people get acclimated both with yours yeah uh and in in other uh works uh lab, labor music well one of the best places or you know centers for this this kind of music and art in general is the labor heritage foundation which has been around for some 45 years now that I'm a co-founder of um, and, and very proud of that. You know, it's dedicated to working class art and culture. And, you know, that's where I, that's where I first met Ricardo Levens Morales and Elise Bryant and so many other uh, inspiring Anne Feeney, uh, may she rest in peace. Uh, so many inspiring people who, came to the Great Labor Arts Exchange, which will happen next month in conjunction with the Labor Notes gathering in Chicago. Uh, and it's been every year, you know, since, since the beginning. It started as the Great Labor Song Exchange and then became Broader Arts Exchange. Um, but all those people building, you know, on the shoulders of... Uh, well, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Joe Glazer, Joe Hill, uh, and then, you know, Cy Khan, who's still with us, and John McCutcheon, who's still with us, and uh, so many other artists who were inspired by the earlier ones and are carrying the tradition on. And it was tough through the, 
you know, the post-Taft-Hartley era and the Red Scare, the McCarthy era, is when the labor movement got rid of a lot of the lefties, whether they were communist or not, because yep. there was that non-communist affidavit in the Taft-Hartley Act. Yep. You had to sign it. And if you didn't, as a labor leader, you couldn't use the National Labor Relations Act or the board. And so, you know, it was... So a lot of the singers and, and songwriters, Pete Seeger's career was destroyed. He had number one hits on the folk charts um, with the Almanac Singers, and then he couldn't get gigs. Uh, he flipped it around, you know, and went into the churches and the schools and built a whole musical movement, <laughs> you know, that yeah. so many people were inspired by. Uh, today, there's uh, Emma's Revolution, uh, Pat and Sandy, who make up Emma's Revolution. They're awesome, and they're out there every day doing this. is their life. It's their full-time living. There's Kathy Fink and Marcy Marxer. Uh, they're just a whole bunch of people who have kept this tradition uh, going. Uh, and it's, you know, and then also I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that if we look into popular culture, we see the, the same inspirations there. We see, you know, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave out on picket lines all the time yeah. uh, and wearing his Unite cap and his IWW cap and T-shirt. Um, we see the same with Steve Earle uh, and Boots Riley. They're writing the labor songs of today and performing them uh, to large audiences. Yeah. So the, all of the stuff that was that that people tried to isolate is now finding its way into a broader popular culture. Bruce Springsteen. There, there are a lot of them. Oh, yeah. So it's out there, and even ones people don't think about. Merle Haggard. People think, well, that's Oki from Muskogee. He's a conservative guy. Well. That's not really accurate. Uh, and he did change over the years and became very progressive and wrote a lot of working class songs. So, you know, it's, it's uh, our culture as the working class uh, does have a place in the broader culture. And we need to find all that music and art as well and, you know, in include it in what is our own. Yeah. I, I, I Thank you. Thank you so much for that, uh, Joe. And it's it's really, I, and I appreciate it too because you know it's not to miss or to pass over you know the the, the vitality of those songs and mm -hmm. and 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 what's going on right now. I got to admit, uh, I'm a, my my soul is uh, is a sucker for Paul Robeson uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when not a, not even just singing when that man his he is engaged and he's speaking yeah good lord i very rarely listen to anybody where it's like everybody stop wait till he's wait to wait till this is done yeah. Yeah. let him finish whatever he needs to say and then everything else will go <laughs> that's right that's exactly right you know there's a great uh there's a great song and i'm blanking on the name of the person who wrote it uh i recorded it on uh a u-liner cd that's my band. And uh, um, it sings about three verses that pay honor 
to those who practice. The, the song title is Three Chords and the Truth. Ry Cooter. Ry Cooter wrote it. Yeah. Three Chords and the Truth. First one is Joe Hill, then Paul Robeson, and then Pete Seeger. So three verses that pay homage to these three people, and then a chorus that sings about the three chords and the truth. But yeah, Robeson, I mean, he just had it all going on. Yep. And he had the voice, he had the presence. Um, yeah, very much a huge inspiration. What, one of those that's tough to talk about. It just seems so profound, like in yeah. my thinking anytime. Yeah. So, so anybody listening, if if you if you haven't, uh, you know, connected to the just uh, deep in in in, in engaging uh, man that Paul Robeson yeah. was, um, definitely do some searching and and, and look for that. Um, yeah. I got. Um, I got uh, 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 the big the big question here, Joe, mm -hmm. uh, of the podcast. Big philosophical question, but tell me in thinking about art, creativity, labor, what have you, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah, um, that is a great question, and it is a highly philosophical one. I don't know if I'm the right person to answer it. I turn to others for inspired uh, thought on this kind of a question. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like when I think about why I even do this, um, it's never been a choice. Uh, so why is there something rather than nothing? I ask myself that a lot. Why do I do that? Why do I keep doing it? You know, I'm pushing 70 and I, I was at a gig this morning and I sang the Joe Hill song, There is Power in a Union, the Joe Hill song, The Rebel Girl. You know, I was singing all these rebel songs and I, like, why do I do this? Uh, it isn't a choice. It's like I can't not do it. Uh, so I'm compelled. That's why there's something, at least just coming from my own experience, rather than nothing. But I think that's true. Um, with probably every artist, that they are compelled for some reason to create. And so there ends up being something rather than nothing, whether it's a painting, a poem, a song, a play. Uh, you know, uh, my friend um, Steve Jones and Elise Bryant, they've done these amazing musicals, you know, about labor struggles. Um, they're compelled to do it. N none of us are making money doing this. Uh, you know, Emma's Revolution is doing it full time and they're making a living. They're not wealthy. You know, I'm just right. saying it's, they're compelled to do it. And that's why there's uh, something rather than nothing, I think. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you, brother. And uh, yeah. And I know you mentioned Elise Bryan a couple of times. I've been able to, uh, to, to know and interact with Elise oh, through some work with the National Education Association and, oh, cool. and, and, and otherwise. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the just just living integration of, of art and creativity, organizing labor. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it collects there. And uh, she's she's uh, she's a tremendous, tremendous individual yeah. and tremendous uh, asset to uh, yeah. all the all this work. Um, right. 
Uh, so, uh, Joe, in, in wrapping up here, I wanted to uh, I wanted to mention uh, to, to folks is we're going to have a, a track uh, uh, by Joe called Water for Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask. Uh, so, Joe, if you could tell folks about this track, but also make sure um, folks listening to this here are going to be interested in your work on labor and environment. On, mm-hmm. your, on your on your music, your creativity, yep. the U liners. So, mm-hmm. could you just uh, just tell us about that song, uh, "Water for Gold," and tell us where we find your other stuff? Yeah, well, I wrote the song "Water for Gold" after reading an article in the Nation magazine by John Cavana and Robin Broad, and the article was about how gold mining companies from the U.S. and Canada went down to El Salvador along the Lempa River, and uh, they figured out there was gold in the hills along the river, and they'd go get it, like it was their gold to go get. Uh, And they did, and they polluted the water supply in the process of the gold mining process, and so people protested. They rose up, they organized, they protested, and there were assassinations of protest leaders. Um, So I was moved by the article to write this song and to, in particular, uh, memorialize one of the leaders who was assassinated, Marcelo Rivera. Um, And I really, I I, I like this track. Uh, It's on the U-Liner's most recent CD, and all of the info about my music uh, can be found at the Uliners website, which is www.uliners, that's U-L-I-N-E-R-S, dot com. Uh, and then the labor environmental work is at the Labor Network for Sustainability website, which is www.labor, the number four, sustainability.org. And that's got all kinds of great stuff on labor and climate change uh, on on that website. Um, but the Water for Gold song, I, I just have to mention, was um, I wrote it uh, for uh, acoustic instruments. So there's guitar, mandolin, violin, mandocello, and bass, and then a couple voices. Uh, and I really like the way it came out. It's one of my favorite tracks. Uh, tell me, Joe, what's a mandocello? I'm fascinated right now. Yeah, well, uh, the mandolin family of instruments has uh, a piccolo mandolin, which is a little thing about like that big. It has the mandolin and then the mandola and then the mandocello and a mando bass. Uh-huh. So a mando, uh, a mandola is a bigger version of a mandolin and the mandocello is even bigger yet. It's you still play it like this, unlike the cello that you bow, but it's a big, uh, it's a, it's a really big version of a mandolin and kind of difficult to play. I remember in the recording session, my mandocello player was like, Hey, this is getting hard, you know. But the, man, the mandolin uh, family of instruments is a fascinating family that people really don't know much about. Yeah, thank oh, thanks, thanks for that. I hadn't heard that, so I just wanted to, mm-hmm. to jump yeah. in. Thank, thank, thanks for connecting us um, uh, to your art, uh, to your art, uh, Joe. Um, I want to say. Um, 
and speaking here, uh, Joe Uline, um, uh, it's 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 been really important and been a, a great pleasure for you to to, to be on this show. And I think um, you know that the work that you do, the connections that your mind and music makes, are really important uh, at at you know at this moment. So I appreciate you um, uh, chatting with uh, with us and coming on to the show. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. But thank, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, uh, deep respect to the memory of uh, Marcelo Rivera and dearest uh, Ann Feeney, yeah. uh, labor singer, a musician. Um, yeah. Joe, uh, great pleasure. Uh, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you sometime soon on the pick line. OK, brother. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Take care. Take care now. The Lemper River runs through El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, down to the shore. Bringing fresh water to the people in the towns, farmers and ranchers, everyone around. They come from the north with their money and their guns, for the gold in the hills where the Lemper River runs. Marcelo Rivera never grow old, water for life. Or is it water for gold? Solidarity when their water was poisoned by the gold companies. Murals on the walls, marching in the streets. Four dead in El Salvador. They come from the north with their money and their guns. For the gold in the hills where the Lamba River runs. Marcelo Rivera never grow old. Water for life or water for gold. Water for life, or is it water for gold? People who want to be free Marcelo and others live no more How many dead in El Salvador? No more, no more in El Salvador They come from the north with their money and their guns For the gold in the hills where the Lamba River runs Marcelo
Marcello Rivera never grow old. Water for life, oh water for a gold. Water for life or.